Welcome to Women Who Move Nations, the public transport podcast, where we interview our industry's top female executives from Australia, New Zealand, and around the world. I'm Michelle Batsis, your host and the Chief Executive Officer of the Public Transport Association, Australia, New Zealand. We're raising the voices of women for everyone who works in public transport and mobility, and particularly for any of our listeners who are early in their transport careers and looking for inspiration. Each of our guests shares her views on the future of public transport and provides insights into their career journeys. Make sure you follow Women Who Move Nations on your favorite podcast platform and rate the show to help more people find us. You can also join our community on LinkedIn by searching Public Transport Association Australia New Zealand. We're also on Twitter at PTAANZ underscore or visit us at www.ptaanz.org. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to 360 City by New Cities, a podcast delving into the future of urban life. I'm today's guest host, Michelle Batsis from the International Association of Public Transport, otherwise known as UITP, here in Australia and New Zealand. And I'm also host of the Women Who Move Nations podcast. And today our podcasts are joining forces to bring you this special episode on women in the transportation industry. And I'm absolutely delighted and thrilled to be joined by Laura Chase, co-founder of Mobility XX and president and CEO of the Intelligent Transportation Society of America, known as ITS America, to discuss the launch of a new pledge that seeks to empower women in transportation. In America, women comprise only 15% of a workforce that's approximately 14.8 million people, and the percentage of females in executive and decision-making roles is even less than that, and I think that's reflected worldwide. So I'm super excited to hear more today about the Mobility XX Initiative, a new coalition of women leaders who are uniting to challenge the industry to increase the number of women by 10% over the next 10 years. So Laura, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So we're going to get stuck right into the questions. And so to begin with, can you tell us more about what is Mobility XX, how the idea for Mobility XX came about, and how you're bringing this vision to life? Absolutely. So Mobility XX uh, was started by ITS America and two partner organizations that we work with, um, WTS International, which in the U.S., uh, well, actually internationally, um, as well as the U.S., they uh, focus on women in transportation, uh, and uh, an organization called The Ray, which is a member-led organization of ours in, in Georgia. Um, and we came together, actually, um, last fall around um, an opportunity for a very large grant proposal called Equality Can't Wait. And maybe some listeners here have heard of that. Um, It was uh, about a $40 million grant opportunity offered by um, Melinda Gates and Mackenzie Scott. And it was um, focused on putting women in positions of power. So it was was really an open-ended opportunity to to put women in in more decision-making roles and positions within society. So anyway, our organizations came together. We saw this opportunity and we said, you know, transportation, we have a really compelling story to tell here. Um, You know, not only do women not make up much of the industry and we want to increase that and increase their power and influence, but part of the reason we want to do that is because women face inequities in our transportation system. 
So we know that women pay more for safe transportation. We know that women um, lose more time on transportation. They have to trip chain. A lot of their trips are as caregivers. Um, and so it, it also limits their um, mode choices. You know, you can't jump on an e-bike if you've got a toddler in tow, right? Or you can't uh, necessarily right. jump on a scooter if you've got, you know, grocery bags. So, so it, all of those factors, the fact that you pay more for safety, that you're um, losing more time because of, of your, your, the needs um, that are not met by the system, that it equates to reduced economic opportunity. And so we put together this really compelling proposal that really focused on the fact that if you can elevate and lift women in transportation, you're lifting women everywhere. You're lifting not only women, you're lifting families, you're lifting communities, and you're creating these better outcomes uh, for women everywhere. So, so we did that. Unfortunately, we did not receive the grant, but in the process, we created this, you know, this steering committee, sort of as you mentioned, of, of leading women in the transportation industry. Um, you know, in the public sector and in the private sector alike. Uh, and we had, we've gotten such momentum and such interest, you know, in this sort of compelling story that, uh, that there was a lot of uh, interest in continuing this work and raising awareness in other ways. And so that's how, you know, I'm coming to you today with this um, pledge opportunity to, to talk about, which is um, we decided that we're going to take all of these great ideas um, and this, you know, this great momentum and commitment and turn it into action. Um, and that action is in the form of, of wanting to increase the number of women um, by 10% in 10 years. Um, and just to, to give a little context to it, I know you mentioned the, the fact, uh, stat at the beginning, that women make up only 15% of the industry. But what's even more stark is that over the past 15 years, the proportion of women in transportation has only increased by 3%. So we said, wow. we want to change that. We want to supersize this and try to, and, and, and put together a goal that we think, uh, you know, as an industry we can meet that would really elevate women. I love that. I've got goosebumps. I'm so inspired. I mean, I think that this initiative should be worldwide, right? And we should have a conversation about how we can get involved after this. I think that there's something you said around lifting not just women, but then families and the economic impacts. I think that's incredible and so important to think about actually um, as, a, as a broader impact of the work. And you talked about Mobility XX being led by a group of women and the strong network of women in transportation. And I wanted to ask you more about that. I'm really interested to get your views on the power of women coming together. And I often talk about it as the transport sisterhood, actually. Um, I'm based in Melbourne in Australia, and a lot of women in the transport network know that I, I talk about it like that because there's a community and I think it's building. And in such a male-dominated industry, do you think there's always been a sense of so solidarity among women working in the industry? I really do. Um, I love that your term, the sisterhood. I think, um, you know, I, I do. I think... It's somewhat natural inclination that that women do seek each other out, especially in an industry where um, where they are, you know, um, so underrepresented. Um, but I think that part of it also goes to um, some of how uh, the rest of the industry is is perceived. And I think that you know women feel more comfortable in situations with other women. Um, they're not, they, you know, they share more, they open up more. Um, they're not as afraid to give an answer that you know maybe I'm wrong. Um, they're not as afraid to take a chance. 
um, and share a viewpoint that that may not be shared, right? If you were in a group of, let's say, all men, particularly. Um, so I yeah. think that I think it does create a sense of of solidarity um, among the women in the industry. Yeah, and I think that that's um, it's a really important point, and. I think there's obviously a perspective there as well, right, that women in the industry who are kind of climbing up those ranks have. And I wanted to ask you, because obviously you've been doing a lot of thinking, right, around how this situation has come about where there is a male-dominant industry. What do you think have been the factors to make it so hard to attract women to the industry? And what do you think needs to be done to change it? Well, I think we need to shift how we talk about our work and how we talk about the industry with women. Um, so there is there is some stu- a study out there um, done by uh, one of our partner agencies, uh, a research agency called the Mineta Transportation Institute. Um, they delved into this um, a few years ago, and what they found is that um, transportation. If, if you talk about transportation as connected to the communal goals that that it actually serves, uh, women are more interested. And right now, it's got a very you know a very technical, a very kind of sterile um, you know. A perception, and and that does not attract women. Um, and if you look at industries where you know you have a lot of women, industries like you know nursing and healthcare, industries like education, there's a very clear communal goal, you know, societal benefit and tie. But the irony is that transportation has all of that and more, right? I mean, it is so foundational to how you get your healthcare, how you get your education, what's your economic opportunity, all of those communal goods and goals um, are very highly represented in transportation. So I think if we can sort of flip the script and start to talk about it in a way that um, that reframes the opportunity for women, I think that will attract more women. And the other thing I think that has been proven out um, to some degree, and, I, and I'm sure as a woman in this industry, you've seen this as well, is that you know young women, even if you, you get them in, there's, a, there's very few role models and mentors um, you know, at the highest levels that are women. And so that has an effect of, of young women don't see a path for them. So I think, you know, we need to really think about how we can um, increase diversity at those top levels as well in order to attract the younger women and show them that there is a career path for them. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. You, you can't be what you can't see, right? So, you know, that it's so important to have those role models and be inspired and certainly in speaking with you, you're, you're one of them, Laura. And I think I'd love to hear more about you personally in terms of what attracted you into the industry. And can you share with us, you know, how did you get into the transportation industry and what's your journey been like that's led you to become Chief Executive Officer of ITS America? Yeah, well, I think I've probably had, uh, I'll call it a non-traditional journey to this role. Um, but I, I spent my career in Washington, D.C., um, early in the career, in my career, I was in, in politics and then I was in trade associations. Um, and I actually, uh, I did actually leave the workforce. I had twins, um, years ago. I left the workforce for, you know, about 10 months and was able to come back and I had flexibility in my schedule, which, you know, allowed me to do that, quite frankly. So that was extremely helpful at that time in my life. And then, um, when my third child was born, she, you know, when she was an infant, she was not thriving. So I'd come back. Um, it was not working. So I left the workforce again. And um, at that point, when I was able to come back, and I had, I had had experience in transportation before. I'd had some experience in telecom. 
Um, and when I came back after my third child, I was very fortunate. Uh, I was able to come back to this to this industry to transportation, you know, in a in a role that the intelligent transportation is really, I think, you know, what what excites me. So I was able to come back to this exciting industry um, through a former colleague. And you know, for me, that was really the key because I was able to re-enter the workforce then at a high enough level to sort of maintain, um, you know, the level that I had been at when I left. And um, unfortunately, not every every woman has that opportunity, right? So yeah. that's a really I was very grateful for that opportunity, um, and I was really grateful to be able to be doing work that was meaningful to me um, and something that I really felt like I, you know, had an ability to make a difference. So, you know, I, I would say to, to people out there um, that there, there are a lot of different paths you can take, but, you know, being able to rely on your networks and rely on your contacts is really, I think, you know, the, the number one key for women. And especially if, if you have taken any time out of the paid workforce um, and are trying to get back in, using those contacts and networks is really critical. I think that's such a good point around the importance of building and nurturing relationships and maintaining that network. And Laura, I just want to say thank you for being so open about your journey and sharing that challenge you had around your third child as well and what that experience was like for you. So thank you. I appreciate that. I think actually sharing those stories is so important as well. It's part of that journey of inspiring women. I wanted to take a turn back to talk about Mobility XX. I understand that there is a pledge that you're launching this week and I'm really keen to hear more about it. And from what I understand, you're challenging the mobility industry to increase the number of women in transportation by 10% over the next 10 years, as we've discussed. So what are the commitments that a company signs up to when they become a signatory to the pledge? So we have uh, an option of about 15 or 16 action items that we are asking companies um, to look at and choose two. We're asking them to pick two actions from the list um, to do over the next year. Now, of course, a company can certainly do more than two, but we're asking for a minimum of two. And the idea behind this is to, you know, inspire collective action. Uh, we really want, you know, as many companies, as many organizations as possible, both public sector and private sector, to be a part of this because, you know, we, we know that we need many, many actions in order to um, increase our numbers. Um, so some of the ideas um, and action items that we have include diversifying panels. So this is, you know, so no, you know, we've heard the term manals, you know, no manals, right? So, so yeah. women out there, men out there, use your agency to say, I'm not going to participate in a panel that is not diverse at all. Um, it's important not only to have different, bring different perspectives into the conversation, but just like you said, um, it's important to, you know, for if you can see it, you can be it, right? So for, for young women to see uh, people speaking that, you know, that they can identify with. Um, so that's one idea. Another um, action is um, baselining your organization and then setting some goals. So doing a gender and diversity baseline of your organization and then deciding where do you want to be. And, you know, this is certainly very important at all times, but I think it's very important now during COVID because a lot of organizations are realizing they lost women during uh, this COVID environment. And yeah. so really knowing, do you know where you are, right? You, you know, you may think you're doing great. You may be doing great. Um, but do you really know where you are and then how can you improve? Um, and then another action on the list is um, we call it accountability and collaboration partnerships. What that really means is if you're an agency that um, does work with partners or other organizations, um, if you, you know, 
you can use your agency to find more women-owned businesses to work with, to find more minority-owned businesses to work with. You know, so really looking at who are you bringing into your fold as partners um, and contractors and trying to make sure that you're, you know, that you're true to, you know, your values of gender equity and diversity and that. Um, another uh, action is um, a pipeline and hiring pledge. Sounds really simple, but just the sheer act of requiring more than one diverse candidate for a job and having, you know, diverse hiring panels um, has the effect of, of actually increasing your um, your odds of hiring diverse candidates, right? It takes away some of the bias that, that can be found if you if you maybe only have one diverse candidate and you know you're comparing them um, right to a to a non-diverse candidate. So those things ha- actually can produce real results, and they're not that hard to implement. Um, and then of course you know there's a, a very important one, which is a board uh, your bo- a board or a um, company leadership pledge. So increasing diversity, gender diversity on your board or within your company executive levels by 10%. And then finally, just one more I'll highlight, um, because there's more, is uh, to rethink recruiting. You know, sometimes you hear you hear people say, well, I can't find, I can't find diverse candidates. I can't find women. And I think the answer there is, well, where are you looking? And have you thought about how you're advertising, where you're advertising, you know, what forums um, you're using? If you're not using forums where the candidates that you might want um, are prevalent, then sure, you're not going to find them. And so I think that there's a lot of ways that companies and organizations can really rethink um, how they're recruiting candidates. And then finally, I will just add that we do have a uh, create your own action. And that is um, that is to recognize that companies in this space are at very different ends of the spectrum here. There, there are companies who have actually done a lot on you know diversity, equity, and inclusion, and gender diversity in particular. And there are companies that are that have you know started talking about it, but maybe haven't taken as many actions. And so we really wanted to again use this to inspire action. So if a company has a really innovative idea that they've done that has worked, we want to know about that. We want to be able to celebrate that. We want to be able to share that and inspire others to do it. So as long as it is a meaningful action that can um, support women, we um, you know we want to hear about that. Yeah, that's so great. You know what I love that the actions that you've outlined, they are simple, they're achievable, right? They're practical. And I, and I think that's so important. So it's great to hear that you've got companies and organizations signing up and, and pledging uh, some of those actions. I think that's so good. And I mean, and I know personally, the journey takes time, but you have to be so proactive. You know, our board here at UITP ANZ, who I report into, when I started three and a half years ago, the board representation of females was less than 10% and we're now at 46%. But that has taken really proactive commitment um, to, to really source and secure women directors on our board. But it makes such a difference in terms of the diversity of views. So, so great to hear. Your response uh, really leads well into my next question, actually. As cis white women, I know for myself and many of us that it's been quite difficult at times in the mobility and transportation industry, but how do you think we can better elevate non-binary trans and women of colour and ensure that with your initiative we're considering intersectionality as well? Well, I think that's a really important point and I think uh, that, you know, it's really important to remember. I think sometimes there's a temptation to think what works for one woman what works for all women and that's not true, right? We're, it's not one size fits all. And like you said, you really need to think about the experience 
that I have had on my lived experience um, in this space is very different, perhaps, from somebody who's of a different race or a different ethnicity or a different gender identity. Um, you know, not to mention um, differences between, you know, low-income women um, who don't have access um, to resources to overcome some of the challenges that they encounter uh, in the transportation space. Um, that's very different, you know, than, than some of the other challenges that women face. So I think it's really important through this initiative, we really want, what we want to do is we really want to highlight the lived experiences of women and bring those to the table so that, you know, women in this industry can hopefully create the type of diversity that's reflective of the communities that we serve. And so we would like to be able to highlight those different perspectives and experiences as we go through this initiative. Yeah, that's so great to hear. I wanted to touch on a point that you mentioned right at the start of our conversation where you were talking about how women in decision-making roles can impact the uh, choices that women then on the ground have in terms of transportation and getting around. And I know in the last couple of years, there's definitely been conversations at a global level that we've become more aware of how gender bias plays out in transportation planning and city building. And I'd love to hear from you, what are the advantages, do you think, that having more women in decision-making roles has and how does that link to the economic opportunity for women in cities? So, you know, one, I think, direct link comes from a study that um, was done in New York City called the Pink Tax. It was the Pink Tax on Transportation, and, and you may be familiar with it, but it showed that on average, women pay $26 to $50 more per month for safe transportation options than men do. And so, you know, again, as caregivers, as primary um, responsibility for the family, you know, that's that's significant, right? That's significant um, tied to your to your economic opportunity. Um, I think we've also seen interesting um, examples in Los Angeles. Just recently, one of our members, LADOT, did a study on a few different neighborhoods in Los Angeles. They looked at women's travel needs, and the way they did the study, they did interviews, so they got really rich data from these interviews. And they found that, you know, there were things, there were gaps that they didn't realize that were really impacting women's um, opportunity and their access to transportation. Gaps like um, a cell phone gap, where there were significantly fewer women that had cell phones than men. Um, In addition, a driver's license gap. And so the reality is that when you look at that data and when you start to think about this with a gender lens and you start to really think about what are the barriers that women face, then you start to plan things differently and you start to look at how you, you know, how you're going to deliver services differently. Because what you might have thought would work isn't necessarily going to help those communities, but you may not even know that, right? So you may not even understand that. And I also think that, you know, there's a lot of women in this industry who we've all experienced some of these things. We've experienced the difficulty in traveling with children. We've experienced a difficulty in in, in, you know, trying to, to pick up the prescription and pick up the milk and all the other things, you know, on your way home, get the kid from daycare without getting the fine, all of these different, you know, different travel patterns that don't mix with the typical commute, right? We've all experienced this, and yet we haven't really voiced this within the industry until now. And I think that being able to bring our own lived experiences in this space especially if you're in a, in a role where you can actually uh, make decisions and influence planning, um, it just brings a whole different lens 
to, you know, again, how we operate the systems, offer these services, design uh, the systems. You know, one um, quick example I'll also give, which was actually not in the U.S., it was in Sweden. Um, there was a town in Sweden that, that looked at all their policies and programs with a gender equity lens. And what came out was snow plowing. And it surprised everyone because it turned out that by, by plowing the roads before the sidewalks, women were at much higher risk because they were walking on the sidewalks with strollers, with children, with packages. It was a much more dangerous environment. There were injuries. And they recognized that by changing how they viewed things and looking with a gender lens, they were able to actually make a change that really improved safety and quality of life for women. So I think just, just taking that lens and applying it um, is, you know, is incredibly important. And I think you know, women um, bring that lived experience to this. Yeah, that is so inspiring to hear. And thanks for sharing that story about Sweden, actually. I mean, what an interesting example of how this really applies on the ground when you have that diversity of thinking. So thank you, Laurie, for sharing that. I wanted to come back to this point around um, when we talked about the the males and, 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 and the industry being dominant, um, particularly I mean, let's just call it out. Many organizations are led by white males. And I know it's changing in, in some places, of course, but, uh, you know, there's an expression, male, pale and stale, um, or, or, or the versions of that, right? And you see that in the males, uh, the mannels, and then the mannels actually representative of the leaders of, of organizations. And I wanted to ask, you know, do you face challenges in involving and engaging some of those males in, in the work that you're doing? And if so, what are they? And, and how are you engaging them in a way that I would say is non-superficial, you know, that's really bringing them on the journey so you can achieve your goals? So that's a very, it's a very good question. Uh, and I will say that I think, you know, we've started to see men and women alike are actually really seeing how bringing more diverse voices into both our organizations, but also into the work that we do in transportation can actually, you know, improve um, both our, our workplaces and, um, you know, what we do for a living. Um, so I think that's very encouraging. I will say, you know, our, our board as well is, you know, a majority men. I mean, we have added women and we have a, we have a good representation of women, but it's majority male. And um, our board has been really supportive and stepped up. And I've been incredibly, you know, pleased to see that. They've really supported this initiative. And, you know, I, I have had conversations with, with some males at times where, I think that it can feel threatening in a way. And to that, I would say, you know, we really need to reframe the conversation in a way that shows that supporting gender equity is expanding the pie for everyone, men and women alike. It's creating more opportunity for all. You know, we know from research that diversity in teams, diversity, you know, in, in workplaces actually creates more profitability. It creates more innovation it attracts and retains more talented individuals, and it creates more revenue at the end of the day. So that's good for everyone. That's good for men and women. And I also think it's important to note that, um, you know, that the next generation that's that's up and coming, that's, you know, coming out of college right now and everything, they, they aren't standing for the status quo. You know, they are looking at what is the, what is the DI commitment of this organization? What is the makeup of this organization? And, and they're not interested in going backwards. They're interested in going forwards. And so I think for all of those reasons, you know, diversity is good business. And I think if you can reframe it that way, I think that you get more authentic, you know, commitment from males. 
Yeah, that's actually such a good point. I love that idea around reframing the conversation and, you know, diversity is good business. I love that. I think that's actually, that. I mean, that's a quote there, Laura. So, you know, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. I wanted to ask, this is a bit of a crystal ball gazing question. You know, what are your hopes for the future of the industry in say 20 or even 50 years time? So, well, let's see. I think First of all, and, and I hope we have true gender equity and diversity uh, in the industry that does represent the communities we serve. Um, you know, we're in intelligent transportation, so I really hope that we see at that point um, deployment of technology that's been really intentional to, to actually create more opportunities and more access, not only for women, but for, for all communities. You know, and I also think that it's really important to remember that women are the largest untapped labor market you know, in, in both our country and in the world. And so if we really want to grow our economy, you know, making sure that we have a place for women is critical. Um, and then finally, I would say, I don't want to wait 20 years for this, but I really strongly believe that experience outside the boardroom is as important as experience inside the boardroom. And I think that the sooner we can get alignment on that among the industry, the better off we'll be. So I hope that that doesn't take 20 years, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, I, I do hope that we'll see some significant changes in the industry in that time. Absolutely. Laura, I wanted to ask, what can listeners do if they want to find out more or support the efforts of MobilityXX? So the best thing you can do is go to mobilityxx.org. You can find all the information there. You can actually sign the pledge. You can find all the background information. Um, and we, we would love to have as many companies uh, in, in this industry as possible. Um, we hope you will join us in this pledge. That's awesome. Thank you, Laura. And I wanted to ask you one more question. It's the question I always ask at, at the end of my podcast episodes. And that is for younger women out there, do you have any tips for them that are just starting out in the transportation industry? Sure. I would say um, probably three things. First would be show up, right? Show up to the meetings, show up to the events, make sure that you're actually, you know, in the, in the places where um, you have access, um, that is going to be your first starting point. It's just really important to be present. Um, the second thing I would say is follow up and follow through. You know, make sure you do what you say you're gonna do. You know, create a reputation uh, that, you, that you actually are reliable, dependable, competent, all of those things, and you will be the person that people want on their team and in the room. And then the final thing I would say um, is to network like a boss. So make sure you use those networks to, to their greatest extent and make sure that you include both men and women in your networks uh, because you need both to succeed. And as I said at the beginning, and from my own experience, I really do believe that using your networks and relationships is the number one career advancer for women. So I, I, would, I would forward that as my best advice. Laura, I love that. What great advice and network like a boss. I mean, it's all about being a transport boss lady, right? I, I love that. So um, thank you so much for your time. It's actually, it's all we have time for today. But Laura, I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing your exciting work with us about Mobility XX and also for sharing your prof professional journey. It's been an absolute honor to interview you and to guest host this special episode for the 360 podcast. So thanks so much, Laura. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I had a good time. So we'll, we'll have to do it again sometime.
Absolutely. And I want to say a really big thanks to all of you who've tuned in live and thanks to all of our Women Who Move Nations listeners. It was great to collaborate on this episode of the 360 podcast by the New Cities Foundation. So stay safe, everyone, and please tune in again soon. Thank you for listening to Women Who Move Nations, the public transport podcast. And thanks to the team behind the scenes, Cassandra Kadelka and Sophia Dickinson for their work in producing this podcast. If you want more from UITP Australia New Zealand, find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we profile women in the public transport and sustainable mobility sector. I'm Michelle Batsis. Keep safe and keep our nations moving. Thank you for listening to Women Who Move Nations, the public transport podcast. This series is produced by Dylan Adler with copywriting by Sophia Dickinson. Thanks for joining us as we profile women working in public transport and sustainable mobility and inspire the next generation of female leaders. I'm Michelle Batsis. Keep safe and keep our nations moving.